question. How many of you are graduating this term? Are you graduating this term? That's great. We'd love you to come down. Come on down. We want to honor you. Wow. What a beautiful group of graduates. So Craig has a gift he's going to come and bring you. And then I would like to pray for you all because it's a big transition. Well, let's pray. We want to say thank you, Jesus. Because these are degrees that were significantly impacted by COVID, where they didn't get to have all the normal university experiences. And so we say thank you, Jesus, that you kept their health and their advisors and their professors' health, and that you have brought them to this moment. We thank you, Jesus, for learning. We thank you, Jesus, for even in the midst of COVID, friendships that were made. And then we want to pray for them because, Lord, there's transitions. We want to cast every anxiety that might be there about uh, just compensation in the next job, finding a place to live, finding who to live with, finding someone to live with long term in life. All these different things that transitioning and graduating brings up, we cast the anxieties of that on you. And because we know that you love each of these. We ask, Jesus, that you would um, allow times of rest and restoration to come for each of them. Where they've done that final push to be done, maybe came at the expense of their friendships and their expense of their time with you. And so we ask for rest. We ask for a renewed hunger for your word. We ask for friends to reach out and celebrate with them. And we pray and join with Jeremiah, who some 2,600 years ago said that you have plans for them to flourish, plans to bring about what is good. And I pray that they would each see in their lives how you have been working out their next steps. Lord, I pray that you would allow them to value themselves for the, not just this accomplishment, but for the character you have given them, for the ways they have overcome troubles, and you have brought them this far. I pray that they will continue to walk with the Spirit of Jesus. And Lord... I ask, if they have a faith quake as they graduate, that they would turn to people who love them and would sit with them in that. And then, Lord, I pray over the learning and the expertise that they have worked hard to get. Lord, that they would use that in ways that bring you honor and glory and that bless many people. That they would not grow weary in doing good with the opportunities they have for this education. And so may you fill them, because Lord, it's also a season to celebrate. And I pray that they would have all of the best moments of celebration and thanksgiving for that you have brought them here and expectation of what you are about to do in their lives. And so we thank you that these are people who have blessed us and will continue to bless others and that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are um, 
equipped now for new and exciting things. And so we say both thank you, Jesus, and help them, Lord. In your precious name, amen. Some of you might be wondering what it is they got. Uh, a previous original, uh, her name's Marissa Wang, uh, has painted or drawn uh, the origin blessing in order to bless them. And so all the bumblebees in the picture are actually graduating. They've got a little mortar board. And the flower is the lily of the valley, which is a, a flower that was connected uh, and sort of named to Jesus. He's the lily of the valley. And so there's a lot of meaning in there. And our origin blessing is right there in the print there for you. Um, you know, symbols matter a lot in some ways, don't they? And graduation is one of those moments that symbolizes a lot. And so today, I want to speak to the graduates, but I hope the rest of you will also listen. We're beginning a new series in Luke chapter 5 called In View of God's Mercy. So I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 5 and follow along as I read a text that really may seem familiar uh, to many of you. But to others of you, it might be new, and it might sound impossible what happened in that moment. And so I, I hope you will let that sense of wonder and awe that came for the disciples in that moment also arrive in your own life. From Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, 
and followed him. Don't fear. From now on, you will be catching people. It's quite a fascinating little phrase that Jesus used there. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. This is actually a phrase that is filled with the mercy of God. You might not see it yet, but I hope as we move through this text, you will see it and that you will begin to process what Paul says in view of God's mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. And so to the graduates who've been part of Origin in this time, I'd like to say, live your life in view of God's mercy. Live your life in view of God's mercy. I'd also like to say, stay with us a while. We like you. We'd love for you to stay. If you can't move into the UBC community, move into the Oak Ridge Langara community. Live among us. Help us. Be a part of the continuing mission. But that's because I'm a little bit selfish. But wherever the Lord takes you, live your life in view of God's mercy. Can you imagine the moment in the future, or maybe it's what you're living in now, where you've been at work, you are in the marketplace, and things aren't going well. None of your experiments are working. The kids you are teaching aren't listening. It's one of those days. The markets have crashed, and your portfolio has lost a lot of money. Wherever you've tried to go in that day, there's been a lot of traffic. And you're like, I hate traffic. And then you think, but I'm part of traffic. Do you know, for Peter, James, and John, they were in the marketplace. They were in the workplace. They had worked all night, and it had been unsuccessful. There were no fish in the morning. For the people who were lined up at the shore at the fish market, no fish. No one was in a hurry that morning. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus begins to teach the people and the crowd gathers in and he asks Simon, would you let me sit in your boat and teach? And so they pushed out a little from the water and Jesus addressed that crowd that was there. How would you feel at your workplace if Jesus showed up on your most unsuccessful day? Peter had already had a run-in with Jesus. It had been a miraculous moment. His mother-in-law was quite sick, and Jesus prayed for her, and the fever departed. So he knew what Jesus could do. And in this moment, Jesus presses in. It's an act of mercy. Jesus presses in with Peter and says, push out to the deep. Let's catch some fish. What does a carpenter know about fishing? 
What does the rabbi know about the waters and the fish and the depths? Peter objects and says, listen, we've been fishing all night long. But because you ask, we'll do it. He concedes. But before we talk more about Peter, let's talk about Jesus. And the fact that Jesus can see what is happening in the depths. Jesus can see what is happening in the depths of the water. And Jesus can see what is happening in the depths of Peter. And Jesus is crafting a situation. He is providing the most divine leadership at this moment as he's crafting this situation to get at something in the depths of Peter, the depths of Peter's own conviction about God, his own conviction about himself, his own convictions about the stuff of earth, and his own convictions about people. Jesus sees the depths of you and of me. Could he not in his sovereignty as the resurrected Lord, craft the situations of our lives in order to get at something in the depths of us. He can do it. He sees you. He knows you. He calls you by name. This one who died on the cross died for you. This one who was buried in the tomb was buried for you. This one who was raised from the dead was raised for you. So in view of his mercy, will you open the depths to him even more? Proverbs 20 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. Does not Jesus have the greatest insight? Is he not the smartest human there ever has been? He has the intelligence of heaven. He sees deep into you and me. And Jesus is after something. He's after us. The second thing that I hope you will realize as a graduate is that Jesus does indeed allow for the crisis of his holy presence. He allows the crisis of this knowledge to be generated in us. A crisis about who are we and who is he. Peter's concession, let's go for the deep. Okay, because you say so, I will do it, was a yes, but a reluctant one. Do you know, God always uses our yeses, even our reluctant yeses. And Peter threw out the nets. His partners threw out the nets. And as they began to draw that net, they were drawing in the largest catch perhaps they had ever seen. They're pulling it up 
into the boat. And the boat begins to sink. They're signaling for help. Come, come, come. And the water's sloshing in over the side. As the, can you imagine the wildness of this scene? All of those fish going... It must have been incredibly exciting in that moment. And then something is happening in Peter. Something from the depths of him has this aha, epiphany moment where he realizes something about Jesus and he calls him Lord for the first time. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Lord. He has a realization about who Jesus is. He's catching a glimpse of the glory and majesty and power of Jesus that this carpenter sees the depths. And this carpenter has at his hands the command of the Creator. It's a crisis for Peter. It was a crisis in some ways for Moses when he saw that burning bush and from the bush God spoke and says, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. It was a crisis for Isaiah when he stood in the temple grieving the fact that the king had died and Israel, he could see the breaks and quakes coming in the country. And he, there in the temple, sees the glory and majesty of God and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm coming apart because I'm a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. The vision of God's holiness was unraveling him. And he couldn't hold it all together. And so Peter has this sense of the greatness and holiness of Jesus. And he says, go away. Go away, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He sinks to his knees in a sinking ship. Was there something more important in that moment? Like getting the water out of the boat? <laughs> No, there was nothing more important in that moment than settling himself with Jesus. Nothing was more important than settling himself with Jesus in that moment. His little yes to Jesus now opened up the depths of his own life. And he says, I'm a sinful man. Peter threw himself into that collective group called tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. He just lumped himself in. I'm a sinner. I'm not holy. With that confession, he was saying, I'm not what you are. But there was something else mixed in in that moment, a sense of shame. For he says, go away. I don't know what he thought Jesus was going to do. He didn't know it yet, but Jesus could walk on water. Jesus could have turned and said, 
okay, I'm out of here. And he could have gotten off the boat and had a walk. I wonder why shame creates that kind of pushing away where we want to push Jesus away when we're shamed, when we feel shame, when we realize the truth about ourselves, when we're filled with some sense of regret for what we've done. We want to push Jesus away. And so it's sort of surprising when we perhaps have pushed the church away, we've pushed the the worship songs away, we've put the scripture away, and then Jesus shows up at work. He can do that, you know. He can show up on your worst day and invite you in. And there's the shame. I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough for this. Go away, Lord. Do you know, this is a grace-mercy moment. But most of us grow up with an immense fear of being judged and critiqued. We grow up with an immense fear of sticks and stones and words that might break our bones and break our hearts. And so we fortified ourselves with a theme song. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. It's our theme song. It's your generation's theme song. You shout it loud, but I can't hear a word you say. I'm talking loud, not saying much. I'm criticized, but all your bullets ricochet. You shoot me down, but I get up. You shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. You carry that view in relationship to each other and the world in light of the fact that sometimes we fail, in light of the fact that sometimes we are unsuccessful, in light of the fact that we are critiqued, criticized, and judged. And then comes Jesus, and we confuse Jesus with society. I am titanium. And so we pretend to have no shame. We eliminate the law and word of God and say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just words in a book. And if we bring the I am titanium, we will do what we're warned of in Hebrews chapter 2, and that is we will miss the grace of God. We will miss the mercy of God available to us. In Hebrews 2, The writer says we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This this little phrase, so drift away, is very difficult in English to translate. It might actually be better as if we, we said it drifted past us. How shall we escape if we ignore such grace, 
it's going to drift past us. Imagine you're standing at the waters and you're watching a red maple leaf come down the stream. It's just drifting away. In a moment, you could have reached and grabbed it, but you hesitated and then it's gone. It went. If you carry the I am titanium view into your relationship with God, you'll miss the moment. And so for Peter, he set aside the I'm a tough and seasoned fisherman. He set it aside. And in that moment, he truly entered into relationship with Jesus. Oh, Jesus. From his gut, he's praying, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And it's that confession that then opened up all the grace of God. It's that confession, that mercy of grace that brought him to that confession, that turned him ultimately into the leader who establishes the church. It's fitting that Peter responds first with great conviction of heart and the confession about who he is. Do you know there's a third thing that happens here? Jesus signals his mercy mission. This miraculous catch of fish is a holy disturbance. But what happens next is a prophetic announcement. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people alive. From now on, you will be catching people alive. This little phrase that we tend to say, you're going to catch people You'll be fishing for people. It's actually this phrase, you're going to be catching people alive. This was a term of warfare. It's a warfare term for a conquering king who enters a city and takes people alive. And then he takes these captives and carries them into a parade. And in that parade, he brings them to humiliate them in front of his own people and say, look who I have conquered. And in that parade of humiliation, some will be tortured. Some will be beaten. Some will be enslaved. And some will be killed. But look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's using the phrase of a conquering tyrant empire to give a phrase to the kingdom of God. In chapter 4, right before this event, Jesus is in a town and has been praying. And the people have come looking for him. And they're like, where are you? You need to be with us. And he says, look, I've got to go. I've got to go. I've been sent, and I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news of the kingdom? God is taking captives, and in his mercy, they will live. In his mercy, they will be lifted up and restored. In his mercy, they will be set free from the death 
that has inhabited them and corrupted them. They will be mercied. And so this prophetic announcement to Peter, don't worry, you're going to be catching people alive, is actually a word of mercy. We're going to bring them into the kingdom of God. It's going to be so different. And you're going to be a part of it. What's Peter to do? Is he going to say yes? He's already said yes once. He's already said yes once to Jesus. He put out into the deep and threw out the nets. That was the first invitation from Jesus. Put out into the deep. Okay, Lord, because you say so, let's go. And he says yes. Do you know what? They row to the shore. They put their oars in. They pull their nets up. And it says they left with Jesus and followed him. What a moment. Peter was captivated. He was captured by Jesus' mercy. What does it mean for you as a graduate to live in that mercy? Would you let Jesus take you alive? It's the only kind of prisoner he wants. The prisoner of grace, captivated by his mercy, delighting in the majesty of Jesus. He can make holy disturbances in your workplace. He can meet you on your most difficult day if you will also let your life be aligned with the mission of his kingdom. He will draw you into a life and way of holiness that far exceeds what you can imagine. This week, George Verwer died. George Verwer was the founder of Operation Mobilization. It's become one of, he was born in 1938. He said yes to the Lord when he was 18. Before that, he was known as a bit of a rowdy kid. But he said yes to Jesus. In his first year of school, he got this idea about missions and he, he said to his roommate, are you ready to go? Let's go. Are you ready? And his friend's like, it doesn't work like that. He says, yes, it does. And they went and filled their car with Bibles and carried them down to Mexico and gave them away. That became the pattern of his life, just saying yes to Jesus and going. Finally, he realized at one point that he wasn't, his own words, a very good missionary. He says, I made so many blunders and mistakes and messes. In fact, later in his life, 2016, so very recently, he, he said, I've made so many messes that I've just made a book called Messiology. Just going and making messes. He says, we don't need to make messes, but we do sometimes. In just saying yes to Jesus. Are you ready? He says of his testimony of Jesus, he says, I found that Jesus could use me 
not by crushing my temperament or showing me to be a wretch that I was, but instead by offering me love and working through me by the Holy Spirit. Last week, in his last blog, video blog, he says that what he hoped he would be known for most was a revolution of love. A revolution of love. Jesus, has he captured you alive? Can you say of it with gratefulness? He took me alive. In fact, really, I was spiritually dead. But he took me alive, and he made me more alive than I ever thought possible. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this mercy that you've given to us. Would you help us enter truly into this spiritual warfare, the spiritual warfare of Jesus, our conquering King, over death, over Satan, over all the powers that are arrayed against the knowledge of him, our apathy, our shame, our guilt, our fear, our love of comfort. And would you, Lord Jesus, do a work again today of mercy? Lord, we surrender our titanium vests today. We just set them down. We set them aside. And we invite your spirit to come and show us who you are and who we are. And whatever word you give to us, grant us the courage to say yes. Let's stand and worship together.